Hey, everybody, super excited just to uh, get you ready for my interviews with Pastor Mark Driscoll. And uh, just wanted to begin with a warning. Uh, let me just say that uh, no interview is perfect. Uh, whenever I talk on stage, man, things don't always come out the right way. And specifically, uh, as you're listening, I just want to give this preemptive strike for all my haters out there. Uh, there's a story that Pastor Mark will share specifically about an encounter with the church in uh, the Seattle area where the teachings of Paul became uh, problematic and they were not allowed to uh, have church there. Um, I didn't think about it at the time because I was interviewing, but as I reflected and as I shared in my uh, sermons this weekend, Sandals Church had a very, very similar experience. Um, I'm assuming the churches were uh, the same denomination. I have not asked Mark. Um, both churches also had uh, female pastors, which, you know, there are a lot of churches with female pastors, but the stories sound almost identical, but they are very, very uh, unique stories. And uh, just know that both Mars Hill and Sandals Church were started at about the same time. Uh, we encountered many, many of the same problems as young pastors in the 1990s. And so I hope you'll extend uh, just me some grace and know that uh, Sandals Church too had a very, very similar story. Um, I think he shares that... Uh, uh, the female pastor that he encountered was a bit abrupt. Uh, Sandals, the pastor that we encountered, was never abrupt, but said that the Apostle Paul was was a real problem and really, really challenged, um, for the first time in my life, uh, the teachings of Paul. And she literally said, you don't believe uh, the Apostle Paul. And I said, yes, I do. And literally, this is what she said, and I'll quote, the Apostle Paul did the best he could with the information he had. And what it does is it degrades scripture and it takes it away. And so, uh, as I researched, I interviewed um, Pastor Mark before we started. As I did my research, I recalled a similar story uh, that sounds almost the same. It's not the same. It's a unique story to Sandals Church. And literally, there are so many stories that I've forgotten, so many struggles in those early years that I've forgotten. Um, I was in interviewer mode, and I just forgot. And I wish I would have said, wow, something just like that happened to Sandals Church, but I didn't. Uh, and so instead of taking out what Pastor Mark has to share, because I think that's important, I want you to know um, his story, and I want you to hear what happened to Sandals Church. And uh, maybe someday I'll write a book with all the crazy, weird, bizarro things that happened uh, in those early years. But I hope you enjoy these interviews. I hope you'll extend me grace. And um, I hope that you will just, you know, uh, listen and know that the story of Mars Hill is unique, and it's their own, and the story of Sandals Church is unique and our own. And yet, there are things that happen to both of us at the same time with uh, the same passions, the same callings that were very, very unique. And so apparently the enemy's weapons that he used in Seattle were the very, very same things that were occurring to us here in the Inland Empire. So enjoy, love you guys. Hope that uh, this podcast blesses you and I will be back in a couple of weeks to answer your questions for the book of Galatians. So right now be studying hard and just know, man, the apostle Paul reveals Jesus to us and the gospel and we don't have to be confused. Love you guys, enjoy. All right. Well, hey, everybody. This is The Debrief Show. Sorry for the break. I know many of you have been frustrated because we've uh, taken our first long break ever, but uh, I was a little burnt out and uh, needed some rest, and that's a good thing. Right, Mark? Amen, brother. Yeah. Jesus took a nap. Be yes. like Jesus. Take Amen. a nap. Yeah, that's what my wife says all the time. Yeah. I'm exactly like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, I'm here with my good friend, Mark, uh, who is the pastor of the Trinity Church in, is it Phoenix? Scottsdale. Scottsdale. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all so the same. Bro. I just spoke in uh, at Bayside and they announced oh, yeah. me as the pastor from Los Angeles. Congratulations. I was like, well, that's great. Nobody in LA knows who I am, but <laughs> nobody knows where Riverside is. And so uh, anyways, uh, Mark's a good friend of mine. And the reason I'm having uh, Mark on today is... A couple of months ago, maybe about six months ago, I, I had this strong um, sense and urgency to preach from the book of Galatians. I don't know how you do your prep or your planning, but I just kind of 
feel led. That's just the way that I am. I yeah. think you're a little more systematic and the way that you you approach your, your your teaching. But I just felt like, man, we just need to do a series. And and what the Holy Spirit led me to was just this idea of confused. Yeah. Like people are confused about the gospel. They're confused about uh, what it means to follow Christ. And God led me to Galatians. And then I follow you. Um, you can look at, at uh, Mark at pastormarkdriscollministries.com. Uh, markdriscoll.org, I think. Yeah, markdriscoll.org. Uh, yeah. So I'm the PMB, you're the PMD. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're here together uniting to talk to you guys about the book of Galatians. But uh, Mark is somebody that I look up to, uh, somebody that I follow, appreciate, and just love your Bible teaching. I've loved your teaching for years and years and years. And I just thought, man, how great would that be for us to get you out here? You know, our church hears my perspective all the time, uh, which hopefully sometimes is good. Sometimes it's it's off, but uh, they put up with me. And I just wanted to get your perspective. And so tell me why you you chose the book of Galatians and just kind of give your pitch. And then I'll talk about why I picked Confused. But I want to hear you first. Why, why the book of Galatians? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, we're friends. We hadn't talked about this. No, not at and all. And it's good to see you guys. Uh, and congrats on a huge Easter and a lot of people yeah. giving their lives to Christ. Uh, for me, it was similar. I was praying and, you know, was finishing. I'd, I'd done the Gospel of John and took over a, like a right. year to do it. And then was just praying and felt like I really felt burdened like you to do the book of Galatians. And I, I see in the New Testament, at least during the Protestant Reformation, kind of the two big books were Romans and Galatians. Right. Romans is kind of like, if you think of it in sports terms, it's like offense, yeah. you know, what the gospel is. Galatians is like defense, what the gospel isn't, and mm -hmm. it's protecting. And so I thought, you know... I just really want to do Galatians. And so my my kind of approach was similar to yours and and started digging into it. So we're just a couple of weeks ahead of you. I just started a couple of weeks ago. Right. And we're we're new into the book. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited. So uh my burden was and what's the sermon title that you're calling? Uh we God creates Satan counterfeits. Right. And, and so that's kind of my theme through it all. And I think it totally fits with yours of confusion is, you know. Satan doesn't make anything. Right. The demonic doesn't create anything. All it does is counterfeits and corrupts and co-ops what God made. And so God makes something real. A counterfeit comes along that Satan makes. And so there's God and Satan, angels and demons, heaven and hell, the kingdom in the world. There's right. truth and lies. There's you know flesh and the spirit, all these different comparisons. But what it leads to is the, the thing you've resulted at is... Confusion. Yeah. People are saying, okay, is that it or is that it? Because right. I, I see a couple of options here and I'm not sure which one is the, you know, the real Jordans versus the knockoff yeah, Jordans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and the problem today uh, for you and I, um, it's not what the world is saying about the Bible. It's what supposed Christians are saying about yeah. the Bible. And so really it's an attack from within. And so we have, you know, even in our area, we have churches who are saying, um, things that are counter to what the gospel is, and people are confused. And so I have people in my own church that don't know what the gospel is, don't know uh, what the word of God is, don't know why we can trust this or, or rely on this. And uh, the apostle Paul's ticked. I mean, I think that he's really, really upset. And I, you know, you've studied a lot of commentators. They try to dance around it, but he's, he's upset. And uh, this is, you know, most letters kind of start off with, hey, you guys are doing these things great. And Praying this is just you. like a car crash, like, bam, you know, how dare you guys? And he really starts off with, you know, just just the simplicity of the gospel in the first just couple verses of, look, here's what the gospel is. And I'm going to point at an apostle because of this gospel. And, and the first thing that's attacked 
It's Paul's authority. Yeah. You know, like, I'm it's who are always you? an issue of authority. Right. Say, so, oh, we, we believe the Bible. You just need to read this other book. These other commentators go to these conferences, you know, right. graduate from this school, and then you'll have the proper way to interpret the Bible. So it's always, you can keep the Bible, but there's always something over the top that serves as the lens through which you see it. Yeah. And that's the fight there is, do we put, you know, kind of Paul's spectacles on or these new teachers? Because Paul started the church, left, and then false teachers come in. And that's what always happens. False teaching tends not to build large, healthy churches. Yeah. It's like cancer that comes into an existing body to destroy it. That's why he's so angry, so frustrated, so concerned. These are new Christians that he loved. And he says, you know, he, he tells them a little bit into the book that he, he loves them like kids. Yeah. Imagine if, you know, your dad, you're not home and you realize that the kids let somebody in the house who's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, you'd be pulling the fire alarm and calling the cops. That's exactly what he's doing. Right. And today, why do you think it is that we're so afraid? I mean, there, there's two sides, right? Uh, if you have kids in the car, uh, maybe press pause right here. Um, you know, you have the a-holes, right? So they're, they're just like attack everything, criticize everything. You know, those guys love me, right? Here's, they, they don't, they're, they should call their church why we're not sandals, right? That's their church. But then you have the other side that's like, oh, it's all love. It's everybody. And, and we can't ever confront anything. Yeah. Why, why, why? How do you navigate that? Um, because you've experienced both. Yeah, I always say there's open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. Right. The closed-handed issues are the issues that are essential to still be Christian. If you lose the Trinity, right, right, the virgin birth, the sinless life, the substitutionary death, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, you right. lose Christianity. Mm -hmm. Over in the open hand, homeschool, public school, private school, rapture, speaking in tongues, mode of baptism, yeah. you know, flip a coin, figure it out, stop right. being so frustrating, you know? Yeah. But what happens is the liberals put everything in the open hand, uh, and then the legalists put everything in the closed hand. Yeah. So the legalists will fight over some things. You're like, I think that's good to fight over. And you're, but you're like, you got to stop putting stuff in that hand. Mm -hmm. The liberals, you're like, I'm glad you leave some things in that open hand where we can disagree, but not everything goes in that hand. Mm -hmm. And and a mature Christian knows what goes in what hand. Mm -hmm. You don't fight for everything. You don't fight for nothing. Right. Yeah. So I was talking with somebody, um, you know, my my, uh, my daughter just recently went through a tough situation where, you know, um, got a friend, got passionate about the gospel, and and um, I call it the cage phase. Oh yeah. So he's, you know, he's um, he's learned a couple of things about the Bible, knows all, and you know, he's like literally like, you know, I just I will never go to Sandals Church, you know, just like boom, and I just that broke my heart. Um, but then you have the other side where it's, well, Sandals is, you know, uh, homophobic or Sandals is, you know, hates women or Sandals is this. And so the thing that breaks my heart as a pastor, what you said is so important for everybody that loves the debrief and loves Sandals Church is that God builds, Satan destroys. And so as Sandals is growing, Absolutely. right? So like, why have we grown? Because we preach the gospel, because we preach the word of God. And then you have all these people coming in. Yeah, but, mm -hmm. yeah, but. You know, or and and looking looking for ways to say, well, shouldn't we change? Shouldn't we be more culturally relevant here? Or couldn't we be softer on this issue here? And what's so sad is the very thing that's made sandals vibrant, that's made uh, sandals evangelistic, that's made sandals change lives. That's the very thing that people are subtly trying to tear down because maybe we're our stance is too clear on some issues. And so Paul really is dealing with you know maybe the the attackers, the legalists here. Yeah. But I think. The issue today is is on the other side, people saying, well, uh, like I'll give you an example. We had a local pastor in town who said the apostle Paul did the best with the information he had. So I'll give you an even weirder one. Years yeah. ago, I was yeah. uh, 
you know, I planted a church. I pastored there in an unchurched city for 20-some years. God was gracious. A lot of people got saved. We were a broke young church plant. I think it was in my 20s. And right. we were meeting at night, punk rock kids. We didn't have any money or people. We lost our building. And I'm like, we are homeless. I need somewhere to meet on a Sunday right. night. So I go meet with this pastor of this large church, this totally vacant Sunday morning. Nobody's going there. Sunday night, it's vacant. It gets to down to the end, and this pastor, she says, uh, well, uh, I just have a few questions, and depending on how that goes, we can rent you the building. I'm like, great, we're not homeless. Her first question is, uh, you don't still believe in Paul, do you? Oh. And this was like 20 years ago, and I was, I, I'm a new Christian. I, I didn't know you could go to the Bible you know, with yeah. scissors and make some yeah. edits. I didn't yeah. know you could do that. And I said, like guy who wrote, you know, 13, maybe 14 books of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's like, then I can't rent to you because I can't have Paul taught in this building. Wow. He's, he's a homophobe. He's intolerant. He's a bigot. He's uh, anti-woman. I was just like, wow. Right. Wow. I mean, and so to this day, Paul still gets a real strong reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we were in uh, we were in Israel last year, uh, I began a conversation with one of our Jewish guides who uh, is Jewish but rejects Jesus, and uh, you know, wonderful person knows more about Jesus than most of my church. And I asked her the question. I said, "How do you feel about the fact that Jesus is Jewish?" And she'd never thought that before. Hmm. And so then we began this conversation because in her mind, he's Gentile. She's completely divorced yeah. him from his Jewish heritage, yeah. and she never thinks of him as a Jew. And then I said, what do you think about Paul? And she said, I think Paul was a very clever Jew. Hmm. She said, I think Paul's a liar. And she just went after Paul. Wow. And so we, I just said, but it, why was he lying? For profit? For like, we went, I'm like, none of that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> like he lost everything. And I said, he sure had a bad strategy. Yeah. If I'm going to tell you a lie, it's going to benefit me. Yeah. 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 Like, hey, I heard from God and you all need to give me money. Yeah. Not I'm going to abandon my heritage, my university training, my my status in our culture. My family inheritance. Yeah. And he, he let go of all of those things because he had an encounter with the risen Jesus, uh, which makes him an apostle. And, and that's why he's ticked because his authority is being subverted. And today, Paul's authority is being subverted yeah. and attacked because Paul takes some very clear lines. And let me just say this to all of our listeners. There are going to be some things that Paul says that offend you. If, 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 if that doesn't happen, you haven't read all of Paul. Like there are just some things that he says and he's coming at it, not, not to divorce us from God, but to allow us to inherit our relationship with God. And so the same guy that's grace, 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 grace is also going to say, look, there's a way to live here. Yeah. Uh, and, and that living is not according to the law. It's according to love. It's according to the spirit, but we don't have license. Um, you know, I was a big James Bond fan when I was, uh, well, we're the same age. Um, did you like James Bond? I'll pray about it. I don't know. Yeah. I love James Bond, man. I, like, I wanted to grow up and be a horrible man like him. I mean, yeah. that, he was like my idol, but man, we had a license to kill. And so if you think about that, it's it's the ability to do what we would all say is wrong. He had a, he had permission to kill to do people. Evil, yeah. and, uh, and that's what Paul's going to say in Galatians 5 is we don't have a license to sin. We are now set free by the spirit and, and to operate in accordance to love. And so, I don't know, Galatians is just a great, great book. And... um Let's just start off. Let me fire a couple of questions at you and let's see how far we can get. So what is one major issue that the Galatian church was facing when Paul wrote this letter that the American church is facing today? I mean, we've hit on a couple of it, but specifically, how do you see this letter being so relevant today? I think there's either, you can live two ways. You can live kingdom down or you can live culture up. 
you live kingdom down, you know, that's Jesus. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right. You know, Paul, our citizens, our citizenship is in heaven. If you live culture up, what you're, you're saying is, God, this is how we do it, and you need to bless it and be okay with it. Mm. If you're living kingdom down, you're saying anything that we're doing or believing or behaving that's contrary to the kingdom of God needs to stop. So the problem in Galatia is they're saying, we want to have Jesus come down and bless our culture. We don't want Jesus and his gospel to change our culture. Right. That's the issue. Mm -hmm. So the question is always, when the culture and the kingdom disagree, which one repents, which one changes, which one alters? Right. And the people in Galatia decided, well, the kingdom, the gospel, Jesus, they need to change. Right. And, uh, and so I always like to say, you know, your phone, your updates on your computer, your recalls on your car, it's because we never get it right the first time and there's upgrades and updates. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, God got it right the first time. Right. There's no upgrades, there's no updates, there's no modifications. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in their day, it was some people who had cultural, uh, traditional Jewish commitments that wanted wanted Christianity to accommodate those things and not confront those things. In our day, it would be tolerance, gender issues, mm -hmm. uh, sexual sin, political ideology, various kinds of rebellion. And people would say, well, this is how we do it. And God needs to be okay with that. And God needs to bless that. And God needs to, he needs to update some things that he got wrong because right. now we've gotten them right. And so really it always is that issue between the kingdom of God and the culture that the gospel is going into. Right. So here's where, you know, I see in chapter one is that, you know, the Galatians were being told, um, you have to change everything, including your nationality. You have to become Jewish to follow Jesus. Yeah, all the cultural junk. Yeah. And so now I, the gospel, the false gospel that we face at Sandals is you don't have to change anything. Right. You come as you are and you stay as you are. And so, you know, I think Billy Graham was the first great preacher really to talk about openly the love of God. And so he just hammered that in an era of fire and brimstone preaching. Yeah. But we've lost, we've lost all fire. We have no fire and there's no brimstone. Um, you know, the four great uh, God is, is God is love, God is light, um, God is spirit, and then Hebrews, and God is a consuming fire. Like yeah. we're gonna stand before this almighty God and our church just, you know, we, we want to feel good. We, we, we want God to bless everything that we're doing. And, and, and really, it's the gospel of tolerance uh, and even acceptance um, rather than repentance. And, and I think that's the thing that we need to be reminded is, if I'm going to come into this gospel, there are things I have to repent from. And the Galatians had a specific issue, but at Sandals, it's this gospel of tolerance and acceptance. I tolerate you and I accept yeah. you exactly as you are. You don't have to change a thing. You, you don't have a problem. Um, you don't need a solution. Um, and then my question is, then then why did Jesus come and have to die? Yeah. If I don't have a problem and I don't need a solution, it seems like he went to a lot of work for nothing. Right. If who I am and what I've done is so significant that God needs to come down and die to undo what I've done, mm -hmm. that means there's something profoundly wrong with me that needs to change at the deepest level. Yeah. And I think that, you know, again, God creates repentance. I think Satan counterfeits with yeah. tolerance. Yeah. And actually, um, the definition of tolerance in recent generations, according to the dictionary, has changed. It went from you and I disagree, but we'll argue about it so that maybe we can both come to the truth, to I celebrate you, you celebrate me, I march in your parade, you march in my parade, you, yeah. you know, you wear my t-shirt and I put your bumper sticker on my car. So now with younger generations, now that we're older, right. I could say that, um, they care about their social capital. 
right. and their likes and their fans and their trends. And so it becomes very popular when these rebellious issues come up to not jump on the bandwagon and wave the flag and join the parade. And if you don't, you're bigoted, you're intolerant, you're hateful. Right. Even just by not participating, that is now seen as an act of hostility right. and, and opposition. Yeah. And so, you know, Paul understands this. He's got prison time, you know, pickets, protests, death threats, left for dead. He started more than a few riots and worshiped the guy who got murdered. So, you know, obviously culture, when confronted with the reality of sin and the real need for the real Jesus, mm -hmm. there's a fight. And, yeah. and so, but, but what it's good is it gets our passions erupted and riled up. And people who are passionate, they're either going to be for or against something. The worst is when somebody's totally indifferent. Right. Like if a married couple comes in and said, how do you guys feel about it? So you're like, we're indifferent. We could care less. Mm. I'm like, yeah, at least if you were fighting, you still cared and we could move that toward right. something. You know, it's when people have zero, you know, sort of interest or passion toward Jesus that it's hard to move them. And I think that's why Paul is sort of pulling the fire alarm and he's, he's sort of starting very loud. He's mm. trying to get some attention and get people to understand how urgent this is. Right. How, how do you think your perspective has changed? Um, go back to when you, when you planted uh, Mars Hill, your perspective then versus now when you planted Trinity Church. Um, you know, there's 20 years difference, right? The gospel hasn't changed, but you right. have. Um, what do you think was, what was the greatest threat to Mars Hill then versus the challenge of Trinity now? I think, you know, in every culture, there's some, there's some cultural ethos that dominates. And so in some cities, it literally is just rebellion. Mm -hmm. It's rebellion against God, parental authority, police authority, God's word, the gender that God made you, it's rebellion. Where I'm at in Scottsdale, the ethos is retirement. Mm -hmm. Everybody moves there because it's a vacation, leisure lifestyle. They're mm -hmm. not activists. They're not picketing, protesting, angry. Yeah. They're sitting by the pool grilling and waiting for their tea time. Right. And so, you know, in some cultures, <clears throat> they're a riot that you can turn toward a revival. In others, it's like a bunch of sleeping saints that you need to wake up right. to the fact that we're not in heaven yet. I mean, when I get off the freeway and I drive to our church in Scottsdale, Arizona, literally the Sinai Pass is, it says, America's most livable city, hmm. which according to votes means this is as close to heaven as you can possibly be and still on the earth. Right. But people need to know we're not there yet. Right. Yeah. You know, and so for them, they need to also understand that the purpose of life is not just for your comfort, but it's for the cause of Christ. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And so each culture has got its opposition, whatever that might be. Yeah. I think for me, what I see with most sandals people is, is spiritual complacency. And it's kind of like, um, yeah, whatever you believe is fine. And, and Paul is just, there's no way Paul's going to say that. Paul's going to say, no, the, the, the only way you can be saved. You know, I, I think about this last week and uh, I read this huge article on, on one of the problems with young people today is they're completely divorced from death. They have no concept of death. They're not around people that die. Like that's just this far away thing. And it's a total shock to everyone when it occurs, even when it's like your grandma. Like one time I did this funeral, this lady was 108 and three quarters. The reason I knew that is she told me. She wow. said, I'm 108 and three quarters. And I said, three quarters? And she said, when you're 108, you count every day. Yeah, That's what she told me. But like, everybody's crying. And I'm like, nobody saw this coming. Like, like, yeah. you know, like totally surprised by death. And I actually thought about this. I went to pray and anoint a guy with oil that I actually invited to Sandals Church um, just at the gym. The gym is kind of my mission field. That's where I try to lead people to Christ. And God's been really gracious to me there, but he's diagnosed with 
uh, really, really bad stage four cancer. And so, you know, he's in treatment. Uh, The cancer has grown. So he's like, let's say there's 12 weeks of treatment. He's in his 11th week of treatment and the cancer is growing. Oh, wow. So it's bad. It's really, really bad. And so I went to pray with him and I thought, I need to bring my son Hmm. because uh, my kids have not experienced a lot of death. They've not seen this. And we're all marching toward this. And just as we're divorced from death, we're divorced from this concept of sin. Like there's no sin. There's nothing bad is ever gonna happen. There's no consequence. And, uh, you know, um, I don't know if you uh, follow Game of Thrones or not, but they had their final episode this last week. They had almost 2 million uh, signed petitions to rewrite the final season. That's our culture. We don't like how it ended. And I just thought, man, there's gonna be a lot of petitions in hell. Oh yeah. Like I don't I don't like how this story ended, but you don't get a remake. Like, you no, know You're the viewer, not the yeah, author of the script. Right. But in our culture, we think that we we get we get to change the story. And I think that's what we've done with the word of God is I don't like this. So I'm gonna modify it to suit myself. There, you know, death is something that I can worry about later. I don't mm-hmm. if ever, you know, maybe they'll discover a pill by the time I'm that age, so I don't have to die. And there's there's no urgency for the gospel. Um, you know, that's why what, what I, I try to think about is 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 this the moment where I'm supposed to share the gospel when I'm preaching? Um, you know, when I'm um, at the gym or whatever. And and I just think our church has lost the urgency because we've forgotten how important Jesus is. And the reason I say that back to the cancer thing is, man, this guy's desperate. Yeah. And and here and here's why: what medical what medical science is doing is not working. And so we have to ask God. And, and I, I just wish that our church could understand what, what Galatians says is you are terminally ill. There's nothing anyone can do about it. You are separated from God. And the sin, the, can't, the spiritual cancer in you is so bad, that's why there's this bloody cross. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we don't like the cross because then I have to look at myself. God, what, what must be going on inside me if, if that's what he had to do to buy me back? Yeah. And, um, and so there's just this complacency. And man, I... You know, I went and preached at Bayside, you know, that, that's a great church up yeah. in Northern California. And as I'm walking out, which no fault of their own, but you know, every church has this culture and they just go, hey, on the way out, literally I'm walking out. Hey, just so you know, we do an altar call at the end of every, of every sermon. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, and I'm, I'm kind of frustrated because I would have liked to have known that in the week prior to my preparation, but I just get into, into the message and I'm like, well, it's their culture. And I just lay the gospel out. And I says, anybody want to get saved? And here's this 16-year-old who I think is a girl, stands up. I do. I want to give my life to Christ. I meet her in the lobby. Uh, She's not a girl. Her parents tell me her name is Evan. And she's thinking about transitioning. And she said, God spoke to me today. Hmm. And I'm not supposed to change my my gender. I'm supposed to change my soul, my spirit. And I'm going to give my life to Christ. Her parents are are weeping in the lobby. That's revelation. And I just thought, that wasn't even that good of a message, man. I mean, she she stood up. She's literally the way that the way that their stage works is you 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 kind of like like you can touch people's hands while you preach, hmm. uh, kind of like Stephen Furtick does. He's he's real close. Um, that's too close for me. I'm a little mm. so. Uh, but I mean, we I could have shook her hand when she stood, and so I just thought, wow. Then the next morning, you know, eight fifteen, nobody's even had coffee. Twenty people stand to receive Christ, and I'm like, wow. And there's just like this desperation because. We're so inundated with complacency and, and people are so lost. The gospel is so refreshing. And um, at one point, Mark, I, I forget what service it was, I started crying. Hmm. I couldn't even lead people to Christ. I'm looking at all these people standing and I'm just like, 
oh yeah, the gospel. The gospel changes lives. And, and that's why Paul is so angry because it's so precious. And he doesn't want anybody to mess with it. You know, he wants to see people saved and, and they're, they're screwing this thing up and they're adding to it. And they're saying, okay, it's Jesus plus. And it's like, look, man, you have no part in this. It's, it's God saving you. It's God redeeming you. It's, it's all about God. Maybe I'll give you one kind of analogy. I think it explains Paul's urgency that, so there's a place that on, during the summers, we like to go as a family. It's a freshwater lake, river runs into it, fish jumping, kind yeah, of idyllic, yeah. you know, orchards all around. I mean, it's it's pretty great place that we like to go. And then uh, we rent a boat and I drag the kids on the inner tube and they yeah. like to listen to the Beastie Boys. I don't right, know. Right. Beastie Boys and inner tubing is kind of our thing. And so um, notice over the years, all of a sudden there's a ton of algae all over the lake. Hmm. It's getting caught in the prop and it's bogging the motor down. It's you would take the kids over to the shore to swim. They jump out. It's all this algae and seaweed. Wow. And so there's this buddy of mine who lives there and he's, he's lived there his whole life. I was like, what the heck is up with the lake? He said, oh, you'll never guess. A guy brought his boat in from Florida, another state, had some minor algae on the bottom of his boat, didn't clean it like you're supposed to. Yeah. Dropped it in the lake. He brought a foreign external contagion into a clean, pristine environment. Uh. And slowly, that little bit of algae off of one little boat is taking over, choking out, killing the entire lake, and is killing all the fish. And they're spending millions of dollars a year to fight the algae. Wow. The gospel's pure. Right. It's yeah. clean. And you're just like, why can't we let a little of this in or a little of that in? Well, right. because you give it a little time and next thing you know, it's choked out everything. Right. And everyone that is really being fed by that life source, mm -hmm. they have nothing and they begin a death cycle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Galatians 1, 6, Paul mentions a different gospel. Some of the Galatians began to believe in. What do you think are different gospels that Christians today are likely to believe in? What's crazy is too, he says, if we are an angel from heaven mm -hmm. and the largest religion, Islam, and the largest cult, Mormonism, are founded by those who say that they got revelation from an angel, but right. it's not an angel in the Bible. So like where I, I'm at in Arizona, there's tons of Mormon temples at the very top. There is the angel Moroni. Angel yeah. Moroni. Yeah. It's a demon. The highest authority is a demon. I mean, it's crazy. And they're right. trying to reposition themselves as a Christian denomination, and they have a different gospel right. and a different Jesus. So, you know, anything, I always say the gospel is three things. It's it's what Jesus did for you, right. sinless life, substitutionary death, bodily resurrection, something that Jesus does in you, gives you a new heart, new nature, new power by the Holy Spirit. You're a new person adopted in the family of God. And then what Jesus does through you. And Paul calls that the fruit of the Spirit in you know Galatians. Mm -hmm. And so it's Jesus for you, Jesus in you, Jesus mm -hmm. through you. Um, it's all Jesus, mm -hmm. right? Anything other than that is a false gospel. Right, right. So if you take Jesus out, it's a false gospel. If you add something to Jesus, it's a false gospel. It's like, how do you get a recipe wrong? Well, you t you keep an ingredient out or you put a new ingredient in. Right. Either way, you're going to get the recipe wrong. Yeah. And the truth is, we're all prone to do this. Oh, yeah. Every, so, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. We're, we're Bible teachers. You right. went to seminary. I went to seminary. We preached your books of the Bible. Are there parts of the Bible that you frankly don't like? Yes, of course. See, and I think most non-Christians need to know that. It's not yeah. like we we read the Bible, they read the Bible, like, there's parts in here I don't like. Yeah. W welcome to team humanity. <laughs> yeah. We all have things in the Bible that are like, man, if I if God came down and said, okay, we're going to make some tweaks. Yeah. I'd be like, all right, love your neighbor. If we could modify that. Right, right. Amen. Love maybe a neighbor or two. Yeah. Love your enemy. 
Yeah. Like, okay, for sure, could we redo that one? Because mm-hmm. I want to watch Liam Neeson movies in the Old Testament. Amen. Yeah. And uh, and I want to get some vengeance. I need to forgive and love my enemies. I mean, we've all got things in the Bible, but most of the objections to Christianity, they're not mental, they're moral. Right. They're sexual. Yeah. They just are. That's always the issue. Mm-hmm. So we think we're so evolved and developed, and really, it's just all pants problems is right. usually what it ends up being. Yeah, absolutely. And look what's happened to our culture, right? So we've we've said marriage is not the standard, and then we wonder why we have we have to create all these new rules for college guys because we move the line, and now the lines are blurred, and nobody knows what to do. And it isn't interesting, you know, all the problems we've had on college campuses where we've basically worshipped sex, and we wonder why it's gone wild. And it's like, look, guys, like, here's the standard, you know. Um, I told my kids, I took my kids recently, they were grossed out to the first spot where Tammy and I kissed. They didn't want to be there. But I made I, I made my son, I said, I said, Tammy, tell uh, your son how I kissed you. And here's, I, I asked, I said, may I kiss you? And thank God she said yes, and the rest is history, yeah. right? But that's how, because... Right, the Bible teaches me to have great respect for a woman, great respect for who she is, and and that's how I was going to enter into that relationship. Relationship, and not that I did everything perfect because I'm still, you know, a beast inside. But right, the Holy Spirit has changed and transformed yeah. that person to to love her, see her as uh, literally a, a, a daughter of the King, man, and and to treat her that way. And I just told him, you need God, you need this, and especially today in a world where you know consent is such a huge thing. Uh, because we've taken away the confines of what sexual relationships traditionally look yeah. like, um, right? I mean, there's a reason why we say "I do," right? That's that's consent <laughs> yeah. know, at the altar in front of God, a witness, and a pastor, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. I plan I plan on being a part of this. Um, you know, I, I think the gospel today for for sandals is um, good people are going to heaven. Well, or just. Or just dead people. Right. I mean, it's really weird. Like, well, what happened? Well, uh, they died. I'm sure they went to a better place. It's like, when did like not breathing qualify right. for eternal life? Yeah. When did being good or just being dead, when, when did that become enough? Right. Yeah. No. So one of the things, um, have you been to Egypt? No. So we went to Cairo and I, man, I would not recommend going until they finish that new museum because the old museum has no AC. Uh, it was the worst hour and a half of my life. Like, I, like it was probably 95 degrees, 90% humidity inside. I mean, think about billion dollar priceless pieces of artwork everywhere, sweating. Like mm. it was horrible. Um, but one of the things that blew me away is the, the people don't realize that the pyramids are literally uh, the Pharaohs trying to get to heaven. Absolutely. It's, so, it's their slingshot. It's yeah. their rocket pad. Right. Because back then the ancient world believed nobody or barely anybody goes to heaven. Whereas nowadays we think everybody's in, everybody's in. And so there was one of the things that I loved was this picture of judgment day as the Pharaoh stands before God. And it's interesting, uh, the God of Ra pulls the heart out of Pharaoh's chest, pulls it out and weighs it. And then it's weighed next to 42 gods. So we have the 10 commandments. The Egyptians had 42 commandments and his heart was weighed according to each commandment and each God measured that. And then there's this creepy dog that's sitting there. (laughs) And here's what the dog, if the heart is not heavy enough, the dog gets to eat the king. Wow. Like it's like it's right like ever it's this this tense moment that had to be a weird Sunday school class for the little kids Whoa, in that religion right? yeah you know and so uh, and if you make it to heaven then all your servants and gold and food and horses get Come to go with, with you. you but if not man you're banished um, and you know it's interesting and so um, it, it was just crazy but nowadays everybody's in heaven everybody regardless of what you did how you I'm just like wow 
And, uh, and Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me. Like no one. And that is, you know, my daughter was, uh, got a new job and she's very artistic. And so a lot of the people that she rolls with are not Christians. And she just said, yeah, my friend thinks Christianity is so exclusive. I was like, baby, that's the gospel. Mm-hmm. No one comes but by me. Now it's it, it's inviting everyone. It's inclusive. You yeah. can be any race, yeah. any background. You you can have done whatever your past dictates and decrees. And that's the point of Paul. I mean, he was religiously ze- devout, zealous terrorist. Yeah, murdering Stephen. You know, harassing and arresting early Christians. And what he says is, "Hey, there was grace for me." So the good the good news. Most religions, you got to learn Arabic. Your good deeds yeah. need to weigh outweigh your bad deeds. You need to reincarnate. I mean, actually, other religions are far more narrow. Right. Uh, but Jesus is the most narrow, but he's the most broad. Right. There's one way, but everybody's welcome mm-hmm. to the one way. Yeah. Amen. Amen. What do you think uh, the significance of Paul's defending his apol- his apostleship is in Galatians 1? We talked about this a little bit, that Paul's still attacked today. Um, but why do you think it's, you know, because, right, uh, we're called to be humble as Christians, but Paul just unleashes, and he's like, look, man, I am an apostle. Uh, what do you think the significance of that is specifically to the church in Galatia uh, and to us today? What is his, how valuable is his authority for us? It, it's humble to say, this is what God says. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually very arrogant to say, I'm not going to tell you what God says because of what you'll think of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Now you're worried about what people think of you, which is pride and not humility. And the issue is ultimately one of authority. And Paul planted the church there. He was their spiritual father. And what they come in and they're basically saying is, here's how you go varsity. Mm-hmm. And you you come from a tradition where there's a lot of way, every tradition's got their way to go varsity. Right. Speak in tongues, don't right. drink alcohol, take a purity, you know, ring challenge, go on a missions trip, mm-hmm. go to camp, fast and pray, give away 50%, yeah, or, yeah. Or take a vow of celibacy, you know, whatever the thing is. It's like, okay, here's how you go varsity. Right. And basically what they're saying is, you know, Paul's like a uh, elementary school PE coach and the college recruiters showed up right? and whatever he's told you, he was doing his best, but now you're going to really learn how to make the big team. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always that, especially among, you know, zealous younger people, people who have clear, you know, they have, they have tender consciences or people that just really come from that militaristic sports, competitive business background. It's always like, how do I get to the next level? How do right. I go varsity? How do I climb the ladder? And the issue is, uh, if you belong to Jesus, there's no JV. Right. If you belong to Jesus, you're, 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 you're on the team mm-hmm. and there is no levels to the team. Right. But something in us just has a very hard time believing that. Right. If I did something, I could go to an, another level because that's how it works in sports. That's how it works in work. That's how it works in school. If I perform, I get rewarded and I'm above other people. Right. Absolutely. Um, and we've talked about Paul's... Well, for them too, it was circumcision. Right. Which for yeah. us sounds crazy, but we have crazy stuff too. It's just different culture. But how compelling did these teachers need to be? Like, right. like I'm, I'm not going to do this on Sunday, but if I said, hey, I want to come in and talk to your church, and you're like, okay. And I'm like, all right, guys, circumcision. I want all you men who really want to go varsity, we've got some you know, medical vans outside. Yeah. And uh, today we're going to circumcise all the men. And to think that they actually signed up for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys had their, they had their appointment scheduled. Yeah. I mean, that you've got to be a very compelling teacher to get a man to sign up for that. Yeah. I, I couldn't even, fa- I'd be like, right. all right, we're going to get circumcised or go to hell. I don't know. I got to think about this because yeah. I'm not sure which one's worse, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And they did it with flint rocks. 
<laughs> See, yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up, but yeah, yeah. 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 Imagine if you're going to have surgery, guys. Uh, uh, and, and yeah, uh, if you go, if you go to your doctor's appointment, they're like, we have good news and bad news. The good news, we're going to do surgery. The bad right. news, we're going to do it with these flint knives. Yeah, we we our scalpels. We're out of scalpels today, but uh, we've got these really sharp rocks, <laughs> dude. I can't even imagine. No. Uh, why do you think? Uh, Paul confronts Peter in Galatians two eleven through thirteen. Um, how how, do, how might we make uh, sense of the error that Peter did in our culture? I mean, that's a, right. Think about it. this: is the two heavyweights. Oh yeah. This is the apostles to the Gentiles and the apostles to the Jews. Uh, you know, and apparently no James to mediate. Right. This yeah. is. I mean, this is the Super Bowl uh, showdown between apostles. Well, and part of it is fear of man or fear of God. Right. If. It's it's easier to when you go into another culture, it's easier to see how the Christians have added their culture mm-hmm. to Christ. Right. When it's in our culture, it's harder to see because it seems right to mm-hmm. us. And if we're going to stand against our own culture, that means our culture is going to criticize us, our family, yeah. our friends, our heritage. You know, it's why a lot of people today, they won't really even come out of the proverbial closet and say yeah. they believe the Bible because they don't want to deal with all the backlash that comes. Yeah. And so Peter there is living out of fear of man, not fear of God. Mm-hmm. That there were powerful cultural religious institutions that were saying, hey, you disagree with what we're saying, but if you just shut up and don't say anything, you know, we're not yeah. going to pour out wrath on your head. Right. And Paul says, but it, that means that you're not standing up for the gospel. And that means that ultimately, you know, people are going to die and go to hell if they don't hear about Jesus. So you need to get over, right. you know, your your LinkedIn page and yeah. what's on your resume. You need to get over how many followers, you, you know, and clicks and likes you've got on social media. Mm-hmm. And you got to say, God, I want to tell people about Jesus because that matters more to me than anything else. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and th- I think one of the things theologically that we need to point out is this is post Pentecost. Yeah. So I think a lot of times, you know, when we look at the ending of the Gospel of John, you know, where Jesus restores Peter's, well, Peter didn't have the Holy Spirit in him yet, right? Well, he, he has the Holy Spirit and he's still screwed up. And so we need to understand that major, um, you know, I think about one of our, um, you know, fellow churches in Palm Springs, the largest evangelical church in Palm Springs, their, their pastor had a change of heart on the issue of same-sex marriage. And it literally split the church apart. And people are like, well, oh my gosh, you know, the assumption is, well, he's our pastor. He heard from God. And you got to know that even an apostle got it wrong temporarily and was confronted by Paul who said, no way, buddy. No. And he said, and you know better, you know better. And and he confronted him uh, to his face uh, and publicly because this issue is so central and not to pick on that issue. It's just a church in Palm Springs where homosexuality is, it's a big deal out there. It's a cultural pressure. Yeah, It's a cultural pressure. And they thought, you know, that they would cave to that. But what's so interesting is so many of these churches that are caving to that, they're dying. They have these beautiful buildings, another pressure, you know, we were just meeting with um, a, a potential church and we, you know, they're dying. This gorgeous multi-million dollar building, millions of dollars in the bank, nobody in the pews. Mm-hmm. And our leadership team met with him and said, you know, what's your hope with, you know, becoming a Sandals Church? And we heard tradition, our history, you know, it was all in the past. And there was no like heart for the people, uh, the gospel, seeing people one to Christ. And I was like, there's no partnership here, you know, uh, because they cared so much about their past uh, and their traditions. You know, it's like, look, man, 
you're surrounded by more people than any church in history could imagine. Can you imagine being a pastor and you're like, I have, I have 2 million people within walking distance or not walking distance, but you know, commuting distance, commuting distance, you know, where that's the population of whole States at one time in our, in our, well, still a population of Idaho, but sorry, Idaho, love you guys. Um, but, and you're not reaching any of them. Mm-hmm. And it's because you care more about the past than what God is doing right now. Um, and for them, it's the same thing as the Jews. Well, well, we need to have our Jewish history included in this message because what we really need is the world to become Jewish. And had that happened, you and I probably wouldn't be Christians today because a lot of dudes aren't going to sign up for circumcision. And know? we're not Jewish. And here's yeah. what's a weird thing. So they would trace it all the way back. You know, to Father Abraham, the Mm -hmm. father of the faith. It's the same fight that Jesus had in John 8. Right. Uh, They come to him and they say, at least we know who our dad is, Abraham. And he's like, yeah, your dad's the devil. Mm -hmm. Well, that led to quite a debate. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of the same thing Paul's saying in Galatians. You're pointing back to Abraham, but really your father is Satan. Yeah. And what happens there is uh, they forget Abraham was a Gentile. Mm Mm-hmm. His father was probably part of the people group, Access, that were dispersed at the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. And so Abraham had faith and then circumcised himself as the sign of faith. And so he was a believer before any such thing as circumcision or Judaism existed. Right. And so God started by converting a Gentile, and they look back and say, therefore, none of us should be Gentiles. It's like, your father was a Gentile, yeah. Was a Gentile. He was, uh, you know, it's like a great punk man named the, you know, the Dirty Gentiles. I mean, you know, that's that's where it all started. And and it, and I think most people even hearing this didn't know until right now yeah. that Abraham was a Gentile. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Non-Jew. He's yeah. not a Jew. No. Not to start with. No. No. Uh, uh, you know, and came from, I mean, think about the, just the word Babylon and all of its evil. That's basically, you know, that area where he's coming from, uh, you know, the, the the rivers there, man. I mean, it's 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 a bad part of town. Yeah. You know, not just, you know, not nice Gentile, but a bad part of town. And, um, and it's easy to forget that. So um, what do you think the significance of living by faith is, uh, and not according to the law, as Paul explains in Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. Um so let's stop there before we hit 311. You know, I don't know about you. Anytime I've looked into the future and I just look at what's coming and the resources I have, I get very fearful. Right. I've had bouts with anxiety for mm-hmm. sure. And faith is trusting that God's grace will be in the future just as it was in the past. Mm-hmm. If we look in our past, we see, you know, like, how did I get through that? How did uh, we figure that out? How did we do that? And you're like... God's grace showed up in significant, supernatural, strategic ways. And I, I didn't know it. So looking into the future, sometimes grace is easier to see in the rearview mirror right. than it is, you know, out of the windshield. Looking forward, faith says, I see the future. I see that this is beyond me. I don't know how I'm going to make it. But I trust by faith, not by sight, God's grace will be there. Just like manna in the morning for the Israelites, they got up every day and said, if God doesn't provide manna yeah, we're today, dead. we're dead. God needs to provide grace today or I'm dead. And he always does. Mm-hmm. 
And and faith is trusting that the God who gave grace yesterday is the God who will give grace tomorrow. And I think what that does is that helps people overcome fear, worry, anxiety, self-destruction, uh, self-medication. I mean, we live in a country, bro, founded on life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and the number one prescription of medication is antidepressants. Right. People are looking at the future and can't even handle the possibility of what's coming. Mm. Faith says God's grace will be there, and I'm just going to keep going, trusting that God's grace will get me through it. Yeah. Wow. Man, I'd never thought about just faith being, um, and if you're listening, think about that. It's, it's faith in God that can help deliver people from so much of what they're facing. I was at the gym yesterday talking to a good friend of mine, and um, I just, he, he literally, there's just this guy, and I said, hey, man, um, your wife said I might need to talk to you about the gospel. <laughs> so, yeah. And I said, do you mind having lunch with me? And and so we had lunch, this is probably two years ago, and um, I led him to Christ. Um, literally at a sandwich shop and um, he, you know, he gave his life to Christ and we were talking and I, I've just watched his life. And I said, I said, you do realize that God has just started pouring out blessings on you since you came to Christ. He said, yeah, I know. And then he was sharing with one of his best friends hmm. and he's trying to share the gospel with his best friend and their, their marriage is falling apart. Everything is unraveling. And I said, I said, sharing the gospel is sharing what faith in Jesus has done for you. Yeah. That's, that's the gospel and it can be done to anyone. Well, that's what Paul does in the Galatians. He right. says, you know, I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I was outperforming all my Judaistic peers. You know, I mean, what he's saying is, here's who I was. And when he does that, I just, I looked at that text on Sunday. He says, I did this, I did this, I did this. I, I, I. Yeah. That's a biography. Right. Our world is filled with biographies. I did this, and I did this, and I did that. And then he says, but God. Mm -hmm. And that's a testimony. Right. A testimony is not me, it's him. It's not what I've done, it's what he's done. Yeah. And so part of sharing the gospel is sharing the testimony of God's grace in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, because you're God's grace in your life is part of the evidence that the gospel is powerful mm. and does work. Yeah. And if I know you and you tell me what God has done in your life, now I'm now we're out of the realm of speculation and philosophy and religion and ideology. And it's like somebody changed my friend's life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting to think of, you know, when I think of testimonies, it's all the things I did wrong. Paul's testimony was all the things he thought he was doing right. We are not, here's what I like to say. Uh, we're not just saved from sin. We're also saved from our good works. Yeah. And we're saved from ourselves. Yeah. I mean, people are always like, what do you say from? Well, Satan, sin, death, hell, the wrath of God and yourself. Yeah. Paul had to be saved from himself. Mm-hmm. We need to be safe from ourself. Right. I mean, my biggest enemy, I meet every morning in the mirror. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest problem I have is that guy. Right. Yeah, man. Yeah, um, you know, there's a, there's a big debate, you know, uh, in America right now. I never thought we would see it, you know, between socialism and capitalism. And, you know, the founding fathers had a lot of things wrong, but one of the things that they got right was the distrust of people in power. Yeah. And... Um, it's just so amazing to me that so many young people think that if you just switch the system, the people problem goes away. Every system fails because it's people that yeah. are involved. Right. And, and that's where you can, I mean, you could change the political system. You can vote in new leaders. You can give new curriculum in schools. The deepest problem can only be dealt with by God. Right. And that's the issue is the hope for this world is not in this world. It has to come from another world. And I'm saying this in a day when it's like Avengers and Marvel yeah. movies and superheroes and Every major cultural narrative is, 
we're doomed. Someone needs to come in from the outside who's sort of half human, yeah. half superhuman, and they're going to save and rescue right. us all. It's like, that's our story. Yeah, you yeah, stole yeah. it with somebody in a freaking cape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, man, I totally agree. Um, how has Galatians 2.20, um, and for those of you not listening, it's just, it's a super verse, you know, uh, hopefully as you guys are studying through the book with us. Um, and they can read it in 20 minutes. Yeah. It's 149 verses. It's, yeah. it's not it's a, easy. And if you go to you version, they'll read it to you while mm. you're driving your car. Right. No, that's true. Um, how has Galatians 2.20 shaped you? I mean, it's just, it's one of those verses. I mean, there's, there's probably four verses in Galatians that most Christians know yeah. over a period of time. And this is the first one you run into. Um, how has that affected well, you sure personally? Well, share it with those who don't know it. Yeah. Uh, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And again, that's where I say the gospel, the good news is what Jesus did for me, mm-hmm. what Jesus does in me, mm-hmm. what Jesus does through me. Right. And uh, and I always say we're not... We, so, so here's the issue. We are saved by works. Right. But it's not our works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Jesus had to do some stuff. Yeah. So it's no longer me. It's Christ. And him living in me and him living through me. Mm-hmm. And and that's the Christian life. It's a supernatural life. And ultimately what he's pointing to there is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's where he goes toward the end of the book. You know, um, you can't stop living for yourself, have Jesus live inside of you and Jesus living through you without the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. This is not something that you do for God. This is something supernatural that God does for in and through you. Mm-hmm. And, and what I want to share with the listeners too, I, I shared it with my church on Sunday and and after church, we, we got five kids. Ask Gray, what was your takeaway? For all of them, it was the means of grace that we get to, that God has grace and then he has means of grace, mm-hmm. which means if I love somebody, I get to bring God's grace to them. If I forgive somebody, I get to bring God's grace to them. If I get to tell somebody about Jesus, that their burdens can be lifted and their hurts mm-hmm. can be healed and their sins can be forgiven, that's God's grace to both of us. And God is so awesome. Because not only does he give us grace, he sends us out to share it. Mm-hmm. And as we share it, you know, that's not good work. That, that, excuse me, that's not works. That's grace. Yeah. And, and what God does is God gives us this grace to share. And when we share it, the person we give it to, they're blessed, but we're blessed too. Mm-hmm. And so what I see even in Galatians, you know, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, that he is a means of grace to that church. Mm-hmm. And what he's saying is this message in my ministry is to bring the grace of God to you, not to bring my grace, but to bring the grace of God to you. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, imagine it if on a Sunday, you know, and what's weird is like, we you're going to run out of money. You're going to run out of time. You're going to run out of energy. We're never going to run out of God's grace. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing you could just keep giving away and sharing. Mm-hmm. And it's like the little boy who handed his lunch to Jesus. It just gets multiplied. Yeah. And so as a Christian, it's not just, okay, God gave me grace. My sins are forgiven. I can do whatever the heck I want and go to heaven. It's like, no, actually now I get to be with Jesus and I get to go share the grace of God that was shared with me. And there's something profoundly enjoyable about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why when you're at the gym, you're like, I want to share God's grace yeah. with you. You know why? Because that's the best thing in the whole world. Yeah. It's addicting. I, watching Jesus transform lives, man, is, I mean, man, it is, it is, it's the thing that fuels me. I love seeing what God has done. Um, I just texted a guy in our church. Um, Gosh, man, I don't know. Maybe three years ago, I got a call from his wife. I had married them. And um, 
he, he was a disaster. You know, he was messing around, uh, doing drugs behind her back. And uh, so we did an intervention. So I, I'm, I'm in his apartment waiting for him to come home from work. So he has no idea. And she called like a couple of guys in his, uh, his wedding party. Wow. <laughs> so it's like me and four dudes. And he it's comes, the weirdest. Yeah, he comes reunion. home from, he yeah. comes home from work. And the whole time we're confronting him just on what he's doing, his wife's brokenhearted. She's weeping. Um, you know, they're, they're talking divorce. And I texted him and I said, I'm so proud to be a part of what Jesus has done in your life as he's transformed you and changed you. Because I remember being in that living room and I'm looking at this young man who's ready to toss his marriage um, because, right, the world says sex with more than one woman is better. Sex with porn is better. Drugs are better. Like the, the world is saying all this, all this, all this. And I said, listen to me, God is calling you to this. And there was a couple times where I thought he was just going to run out of the apartment and just leave. I, there was one time where I thought maybe he was going to hit me. Um, he was so angry and so upset. You know, he was surprised by this yeah, intervention. Yeah, he felt like he got ambushed. Well, he did. And, um, you know, and and here we are three years later, they got a kid. Oh, that's awesome. You know, they serve on our worship team. Um, you know, he's got a, a job. He's, he's, he's drug-free. Um, you know, he's faithful to his wife. He, he leads our men's sexual uh, healing group, man. Awesome. I mean, it's just like, and it's not me. It's all Jesus. It's all the grace of God. I mean, G Jesus giving his wife grace for him, uh, his church brothers and sisters grace for him, right? You know, Jesus's grace for his own sin and just watching his life. And he texted me and he just said, man, I can't, I just can't even tell you how much it means to me. I'm so glad. I, you know, he can't, he's pinching himself. He can't believe where he is yeah. a couple years later. And it's because of Jesus. He no longer lives, but it's Christ living in him and um you know now i get to hold his son you know yeah. his little son and he, and i'm just like all this would have been averted and lost had you you gone your own way but the gospel brings us back and um i think about you know where i was and 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 how god's transformed and changed me and and i don't think you've ever heard my story but i i was um in an immoral relationship with my girlfriend at at church or at in college and i said hey let's go to church she's like uh parents press pause why the hell do you want to do that? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Let's go to church. And so we went to church and, you know, a, a good friend of yours and mine, Pastor Greg Glory was preaching. And it was one of those sermons, man, where literally the finger of God is on my soul. And Greg's talking to a couple thousand people, but the Holy Spirit is just pounding me. And he says, you know, you need to come forward and give your life to Christ. And I go to get up and uh, I don't want to say her name, but uh, she puts her hand on my knee and she says, what are you doing? And I said, uh, my church has heard this story, but you haven't. She says, um, I said, I'm, I'm going to give my life to Christ. She says, if you go forward, we're done. Hmm. And I said, I guess we're done. And, and, that's, and that's what I want our church so, to Because grace is better. Yes. Maybe that's the big theme in Galatians. Grace is better. Yeah. Amen. Grace is better than whatever your thing is, even, it's, even if it's the greatest thing you've ever had and the, the best thing you've ever yeah. wanted. Grace is better. Oh. Yeah, and, and my church has heard this. You haven't heard this. So I go forward. My girlfriend dumps me, leaves a note in my car, literally profane laced. You know, we're done. A woman named Tammy Harrington mm. is also in church and knows I'm a sinner Yeah, and starts praying for me. So God said, okay, I'm going to make that a full-time job for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. right? So be careful, ladies, who you pray for. Uh, but I go forward and and the very woman that God had for me is in that same church at that same moment 
And, you know, uh, you know, so so not only is Jesus a gift of grace, Tammy has been a gift of grace. She's a means of grace. Yes. Your wife is a means of grace. Your kids are a means of grace, you know. I mean, even sometimes if you let them be, your critics become a means of grace because they can help you figure out how to become more like Jesus. I mean, you know, once you understand that God is all about grace and that God uses people as means of grace, Mm. you know, I mean, it's, and it's where for you, Pastor Matt, I mean, a lot of people have met the Lord Jesus under your preaching and teaching. And so sandals and your Mm -hmm. pulpit is a means of grace. How amazing is that? Because God doesn't need us. I know. You know, in fact, it would be a lot easier if he didn't, you know, recruit you and me and some other guys on his team, but he lets us participate like a dad who takes his son to work and says, I "I don't really need you to do the job, but son, I want you to see what I do. And I want you to love Mm -hmm. who I love. Yeah. Sorry. I'm looking at Galatians 3.11. It says, um, now it is clear to me that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Yeah. And um, man, I just... It's quoting Habakkuk. I know. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. Well, and... Why do you think the Jews missed Habakkuk? Um, I think I think all of us can have... I'll give you a weird analogy. Um, I think of it less in terms of, you know, Jewish people and more in terms of religious people mm-hmm. is kind of how I see it. And... Um, you know, I was doing a, a weird study on, uh, on on boats a while back, and if you have a wood boat, there's a friend of mine, he's a wood boat enthusiast, so he's mm-hmm. told me a little bit about wood boats. I'm not rich enough to be a wood yeah. boat enthusiast. And what he says is, you put a wood boat in the water, and eventually, no matter what, there's going to be some barnacles on the boat, hmm. and you got to continue to, you know, pull it out and clean it. But if you don't, those few barnacles turn into a lot of barnacles. Next thing you know, you got a lot of drag on the boat, but it's still moving. Eventually, the barnacles continue to add weight until they then start to eat into the wood. Mm -hmm. And it can take a very, very long time because the barnacles are very, very small, but eventually it can sink the whole boat. Mm -hmm. I think religion in a culture is like that. Mm -hmm. The longer that Jesus sits in a culture, the culture just keeps adding barnacle after barnacle after barnacle. Well, you give it a few thousand years. Right. And nobody's cleaned the hull. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's Jesus plus this and Jesus plus mm-hmm. that. And I mean, look at it in America right now. I mean, there are people listening. If What's a real Christian? How do you know who the real Christians are? Well, they vote Republican. They listen yeah. to Fox News. They homeschool their kids. They don't drink alcohol. Um, it, you know, they, they have the right translation of the Bible. Right. Um, they go to the right church that has the right confession of faith. I mean, and they've mm-hmm. got their list. And when they met Jesus, it, they had one thing on their list, Jesus. Right. And then over time, they just keep adding things to the list. If you do that for generation after generation, for thousands of years, you've got more barnacles than boat. Yeah, man. Yeah, so, you know, I'm I'm Southern Baptist, and and that's the thing that that breaks my heart about just my own denomination is— I think the barnacles, so Southern Baptists will tell you we're mission, we're mission oriented. We're all about the gospel. But the reality is we, we've been more about the system mm-hmm. and uh, the barnacles have overtaken the boat. And, um, you know, I, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, but in the state of California, I don't know that there's a mission for them anymore. It's that bad. I mean, it's that bad. Uh, I think there's still hope in some other states. Um, you know, uh, North Phoenix, I think is the biggest Southern Baptist church near you. 
Yeah, they hired, it was a big building that really yeah. declined, and I have not met him yet. I've heard that yeah. they brought in a, a, a young man who's a great Bible teacher and evangelist, yeah. and everything I hear is really encouraging what God yeah. is doing there. So I think, yeah, I've met him uh, in New York this past year. I can't remember his name, but- Noe uh, Garcia. Yeah, good dude. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think we can save, we can save some, but the, the whole movement just because of the barnacles. And, you know, we have a lot of Catholics, you know, at Sandals and, and they, they always get sensitive when I talk about Catholics, but here's what I wanna say. My own movement, right? We have 150 years of barnacles. The Catholic movement has like, you know, 17, they would tell you 2000. I would say about 1700 years of barnacles. And, uh, you know, those are Italian barnacles, uh, German barnacles, French barnacles, right? Yep. All of those cultures as, uh, you know, uh, nations at, at, at independent times became the dominant influence. Um, I mean, a lot of Catholics don't even know, you know, there was a time where the French were like, no, you're not the Pope, we are. I mean, that those kind of things happen. So, the, so those influences were there and further and further, you know, um, you know, Tammy and I, uh, we love, um, oh man, my brain just went, we watched this Netflix show called The Last Kingdom. And uh, it's the story of the uh, the Danish invasion, uh, the Viking invasion with the English and the English trying to deal with that. But it, what breaks my heart is they're trying to evangelize uh, these Vikings and introduce them to the God of Rome, hmm. right? That's a big barnacle. Yeah, that's not the God of heaven. Yes. It's kingdom down, not culture right. up. Isn't that crazy? And and so you don't realize how they'd lost the gospel already. Je, you know, Jesus never even went to Rome. He died in Jerusalem at, at, at under the Roman authority and rule. And, and here you have, I think, uh, the movie takes place like uh, late 850s to early 900s, uh, first millennia, and the the God of Rome, and you got to meet this. And it's hmm. like, you know, meanwhile, making fun of their God of Thor and, you know, yeah. all their gods. And it's like, man, we've, ar- we've already diverted to that. And thank God for the Reformation where these guys started to actually read the word of God again and go, wait a minute, we've, we've diverted from the path. You know, it's like, um, who is who's who's the the uh, Jewish king that discovers the word of God and weeps? Is it Josiah? Yeah, and he was a young kid. Yeah, like sixteen or something. And they they found the scriptures in the temple. Nobody knew what it was. Yeah, like what the heck is this? They dust it off, and then they got to go find somebody who can read Hebrew. Then they read it to them, and they're like, oh, they found the boat. And um, you know that that's where the movement of God occurs is when we go back and we find the boat and just know all of our young listeners. Your your boat's not perfect either, and that's where you know kind of this infighting goes. But um, you know, even like when we talk about like the Jesus movement of the '60s, man, the Jesus movement is you know 1980 years ago. That's the Jesus movement, and uh, and not to diminish what happened in the '70s and uh, late '60s, early '70s. That that was definitely a movement of God. But the Jesus movement was you know 2,000 years ago, and we need to we need to try to connect with that and and live by faith. And, um, you know, Jesus quotes from Habakkuk, I think a couple other times when he talks about, you know, uh, he quotes the verse, I want you to know me mm-hmm. and you've missed it. Like you've been all about religion and, and the whole purpose of God is this relational movement where we need to know him. And um, it's just so sad. And and I think that that's what's happening in Galatians. These guys are new. They got a brand new boat and they've, they're they taking on not just barnacles, they're taking on like water and, and, and Paul's saying, look, you guys are sunk. Yeah, you're you're going completely backwards, and we all have friends who started out on fire and and they lost it quickly, and and that's why Paul is, I think, a little more brash than we want him to be, 
um, you know, where he talks about, you know, if you're going to circumcise yourself, just cut it all off, right? That's a little ugly. But but see, part of that too is, don't you think, I mean, we shouldn't be crass. Right. Well, I have been. But, I've yeah, learned. Right, I've matured. Been. I've we matured. Been. But you use good words for good things and bad words for bad things. And if you use good words for bad things, you confuse people. Right. You know, like if a guy's got a wife and a girlfriend and he shows up to church with his girlfriend, say, who's that? Oh, well, you know, they're a romantic couple. Right. You're like, well, that's that's the wrong word. Right. You know, like, uh, and so sometimes as religious people will say, well, should we use a good word or a bad word? Well, it depends. Are we talking about a good thing or a bad thing? Right. Because he calls them accursed, right? right. Anathema. Yeah. Which, um, which just talk about what that word means. I'm going to, I mean. It means you're kindling for hell. Yeah. I mean. You could translate it damned. What he's saying is, you know, what you believe will get you cuts into the line to hell, but there is no ticket to heaven. Mm. You know, it's like, that's as big as it gets. Yeah. It's bad. It's the worst thing you can say to somebody. Yeah. Right. So in our culture, uh, you know, like nobody, people don't say damn you to hell anymore, do they? No, bro. They right. say God bless you no matter what you <laughs> right, do. Right. But that used to be like the worst thing you could say to somebody was that. And that's what Paul says. Well, you remember there was, was it uh, Gone with the Wind? That was the big, huge cultural yeah. debate. You know, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And that word right. was Whoa. it. Like, you can't even say that word. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, now it's mockery. Nobody thinks that anybody's damned. Right. You know, yeah. everybody's in, nobody's out. And that word is almost just kind of a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That, and, and I think that's the purveying false gospel of today is everybody's going to heaven. Why bother? Yeah. Why bother? Well, and you've got people who say that they're Christians that are pushing in that direction. Yeah. You know, Christian universalists and all that kind of shenanigans and nonsense and, you know, universal atonement and all this sort of garbage. But it's just like, you know, at the end of the day, it's two things, Pastor Matt. Not only do we want people to die and go to heaven, uh, we want heaven to come to live with people until they die. Right. Because, you know, your eternal life doesn't begin the day you die. It begins the day you mm-hmm. meet Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and any day lived without Jesus is not a better day. Yeah. Oh, amen. Amen. You know? Yeah. And, and so sometimes when we talk only about, you know, receiving Jesus to die and go to heaven, younger people are thinking, well... Maybe when I'm in the convalescent home, you know, eating jello through a straw, I'll yeah. think about that. Now, Jesus for the finish line is what, you know, we all need, but but Jesus as close to our starting line as possible is what really is best. Yeah. You just think, I mean, I didn't meet Jesus till I was 19, and I, I've got a lifetime of regrets and foolishness and bad habits mm-hmm. and foul language and pride and anger. Like, man, I, I really picked up, you know, quite a quite a lot of 19 years that yeah. needed that Jesus is still undoing and working. Right. It's like a car that was in a rollover crash and goes into the auto body shop. You're mm-hmm. like, man, there's a lot more dense here and work than I anticipated. So the sooner you meet with Jesus, the sooner you're filled with the Holy spirit, the sooner you start your eternal life, truly the better the rest of your life yes. is uh. and the less cataclysmic damage you cause to others. Right. Right. And that's the thing that, um, we, I want to wrap up here. Um, yeah, I'm going to save that for for our next uh, our next time together. Um, let's just go ahead and end here, guys. Thanks for listening so much. Uh, Mark and I are going to uh, continue this uh, conversation, and you're going to hear it next week. But we just love you guys. Be thinking about questions that you have uh, for this series on Galatians, and just you know fire them in here, and I'll do the best I can to answer those. But uh, we're going to take a little break, and I'll be talking to you at the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to the debrief. Love you guys. <laughs>